Welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Damien. I'm Aaron. Thank you for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Is, that's what we do here. Yeah, that's right. Each week, we're going to bring something new to the table, discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. That's right. We want interdependent study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. And Aaron, uh huh, that's you. Yep, you're up this week. What have you brought to the table today? Well, as you'll recall from last week, I'm bringing the whole Supreme Court, so oh. we can just yell at them right here. So come on in, bring Alito, Roberts. <laughs> Could the other one who doesn't talk, Thomas. Thomas, come imagine? on in. Gorsuch. Wow. Kavanaugh. Oh, man. We don't need to talk to all of them. Just the six. Yeah. Really, just those. Uh, oh, did sure. you get Coney Barrett? <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, um, wow. That would be Yeah, they're in the green room. If you could go get them. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I reached out to their clerks, and they didn't respond for for comments. I'm so, so shocked. Yeah. Um, what did you bring instead then? <laughs> I, I, I brought a New York Times interactive piece okay. from their website uh, called The Major Supreme Court Decisions in 2023, um, which, you know, as you can tell by the title, lays out the decisions from the court over the course of this year. Yes. Uh, and it gives a very brief synopsis of each one with links to additional reporting um, and some public opinion polling on the subject of each case, which yeah. I thought was interesting. I love that. Um, yeah. I think we'll talk, probably talk about it throughout the um, conversation. Um, the piece outlines 12 different cases that have been decided on this year. Um, most of them, I feel like we haven't really heard about. They haven't made... Uh, the news yeah. um, as much as others. Um, so like one is tech companies not being um, able to be sued for terrorist groups posting content on social media platforms. Um, another one is about animal cruelty regulations uh, being able to be enforced across state lines, which uh, had to do something to do with California, California and yeah. um, the way that pork is raised uh, and the consumption of pork products and that being regulated in California. Right. Uh, and then there are some of the big ones um, that are really recent about affirmative action, the EPA regulations, student loans, LGBTQ plus rights. Um, yeah. So there's a lot in here. And I guess we should mention that we're not lawyers or constitutional scholars or anything. We're just, you know, two relatively intelligent people who, as our podcast description uh, says, are angry Um so, yeah, we're just, we're just going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about, you know, um, mostly not the actual law of, yeah. of it, but just sort of what the impact of it might be uh, on on us, on, on the people, um, the people, the, yeah. you know, regular everyday people. Yes. Um, yeah. So that's that's what I have brought forth to the table. You did. You did. That's what I'm prepared to talk about today. Oh, <laughs> Not an interview, a crossfire interview with <laughs> the Supreme Court justices. Um, that would have been All right, wild. bring them in. Bring them in. I was like, wow. Um, no, this this was a, a very interesting piece uh, from the New York Times. I think I, I appreciated getting to take this sort of broad look at their last 12 months and all the things that they've um, ruled on. Um, but also particularly, the, like, as you mentioned, this public opinion about mm. these issues. And they did it in such a fascinating way to me. Uh, you know, they presented the data using bar charts for each of the, the issues and cases. And I just thought that that was a really great way to showcase this data um, uh, in, in sort of a clear and digestible way. Yeah. And 
uh, what it was was a representative sample of Americans who were surveyed by an organization called YouGov um, and sort of got a sense of how they felt about these issues in comparison to how the Supreme Court ruled on them. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I thought it was great. Broadly, I sort of think this was a great piece because there's a lot to take away from it, right? As we, yeah. I think as we continue to think about and talk about all of the issues that we talk about on this show, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think especially the role that our elected officials play in our daily lives and yeah. in our continued pursuit of what we talk about here, social justice, collective liberation, mm-hmm. um, especially when those elected officials are responsible for the appointments of federal judges and Supreme Court justices, right? With lifetime appointments. With lifetime appointments. So this is a very big deal, Mm. right? And so the work we do to educate ourselves and organize around candidates who share our values and beliefs and candidates who pursue initiatives and laws and policies that align with what we truly need for our collective liberation, I Mm. think is so important, right? And and the that importance i think is made so clear when you look at all of the work or much of the work that the supreme court has done this past year yeah um yeah i think it's crucial to understand how the court operates and how the justices come to be justices yes um and you know maybe it's a good time now to point out that the republicans have actively gerrymandered voting maps in their favor for a long time so they are overrepresented in the House and Senate when you compare that to the number of voters who support or are registered Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means they've tipped the scales to be able to appoint and confirm judges that they approve of and make decisions to block justices who they don't approve of. That's right. Um, so, and I should I said justices, um, but judges on all levels yes, of, the, of the federal courts. Yep. Um, so yeah, all these decisions are. Also, all these decisions from the court um, this year are also tainted by years of manipulation and rule bending um, from Republicans. This has been a long-term strategy of theirs to um, change the arc of the court, change the the, the um, change who's on the court um, composition. That's what I was trying to say. Change the composition yeah. of the court, yeah. uh, and they were able to do it with. Um, Good old Donnie. Yes. Um, and now, you yeah. know, these decisions so, that they have made are are long lasting, right? Mm-hmm. And far reaching. Yep. Um, as a result of all of that. So and that was a, the point. That was the, the whole point. Time. You're right. Um, so, um, uh, you know, and aside from all of that, I, I did want to mention it just to sort of, I don't know, hammer at home. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the student debt relief case, yes, which was denied on the basis that the Biden administration wanted to provide some forgiveness to borrowers based on the HEROES Act, which was a COVID relief bill um, that did a lot of stuff, including those stimulus checks that a lot mm-hmm. of us got a few years back. Yeah. Um, so basically, the, the um, court says that the Biden administration can't hand out student debt relief based on the HEROES Act because it wasn't in the law. Mm-hmm. Which is ultimately fine because the administration has the authority to delay payments as they have been delayed since April 2020 or so, whenever that happened. Yeah, that sounds um, right. Or cancel debt entirely through the Higher Education Act of 1965, which they have been doing for certain groups over the last several years, um, including groups that have been essentially scammed by for-profit institutions. Right. Um, and they just announced another wave of forgiveness um, to the tune of... Uh, I don't know. I want to say like forty billion dollars. I don't. I didn't write that down. Yeah. Um, 
for uh, people who have been making payments based on income, based on their income, and participating in those programs, right? Um, because those programs have not been uh, pay- payments haven't been tracked appropriately for those. Um, wild. And the deal was that they would get forgiven after a certain number of payments after a certain number of years. Right. Uh, and a lot of that hasn't happened for folks, and so they're revisiting that and and um, sort of forgiving that that debt for those people who have been um, sort of screwed over by this, yes. the way that the system has worked so Absolutely. far. Um, but I want to say this isn't, this Supreme court decision isn't a full defeat of student debt cancellation. It's merely another redirection. Um, and hopefully it's one back toward the authority that the administration already has um, because they are using it in some ways and they can use it more broadly. Right. Um, as far as we know, and you know what the, the, Good folks over at the debt collective have have said um, through their action that debt can be forgiven through this act that the administration already has the authority to to do um, do that with. So yeah, so it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out, right? Over yeah, and how they respond, how they respond, up, yeah. and yeah, and and where we go from here. But that's a really good point that it's not not a full defeat yet right and so sort of now we'll see what happens um but you're right that sort of is a great um segue from what you started to talk about and just this idea of right it's been years of this in the making and republican strategy mm-hmm. to get us to where we are and now we've got this sort of onslaught of decisions yeah. uh, that we have to sort of reckon with right and that have that can potentially have catastrophic right impacts mm-hmm. on on real people right real people dealing in this case with student debt right or um one of the cases that was really so fascinating to me um and i'm i was excited to learn more about it right um was the supreme court's ruling that the clean water act does not allow the epa to regulate discharges of pollutants into wetlands near bodies of water um what they what the case would have referred to as quote navigable waters mm-hmm. right and so with that decision the supreme court severely limited the power of the epa to regulate the health and well-being of our country's wetlands and waterways yeah right so that's sort of one piece of this the decision could potentially impact the future of water quality in the country as well, right? No way. Yeah, right? Yeah. And our and our ability to sort of control waterways in times of climate change and climate crises in the future, right? Mm-hmm. And as we are in this incredible heat wave with all of the fi- all the things that are happening on our planet, this is huge, right? Yeah. And I think there's there's a lot more nuance and it's um issues in the case, right? So that's sort of broad stroke, but I think what was so striking to me is when I think about the connections that exist between a decision like this one to social justice and collective liberation, right? And mm-hmm. and to what we talk about here on the podcast, from everything I read, even beyond this piece, this New York Times piece, um, this case and decision sits at a, at a unique intersection, right, of public safety, climate change, uh, social and environmental justice, right? Yep. And and the the idea that this is the one and only planet we have, right, and we have to share. And so the potential impact of this decision on water quality, as I mentioned, is something that could very well be a game changer for all of us, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 
that makes me think about who in this country has access to resources that might protect them better, or at least for longer uh, than communities and people in this country who don't, right? Mm -hmm. I think certain communities could potentially bear the brunt of this decision more than others, right? And so this one was just uh, a fascinating case just to learn more about and understand sort of the the reach of the EPA, um, right, and and sort of what the Supreme Court has has done to sort of uh, handcuff them a little bit, uh, yeah. and what the potential sort of long term health impact of a decision like that could be. Yeah, and there's a ton in that decision. I think. I mean, one just on the surface, like it's, uh, I don't know, outlandish to me to think that the wetlands that aren't directly connected to a waterway or to a water source wouldn't seep toxins and pollutants into that water source, right? Like, right. Because in a lot of ways, those wetlands are there to absorb like stormwater. Yep. And then the stormwater overflows into the, to the river, to the lake, whatever it is. That's correct. Uh, and so then the pollutants, like, like they travel in the mm -hmm. water. Like, uh, um, so I, I don't know. It just seems. Um, it feels like common sense that that yeah. that the, the court's like, well, yeah, maybe it is, but yeah, yeah, the Clean Water Act doesn't actually say this. It feels like um, common sense, but it also feels like it's backed by real science, right? Yeah. There's there is evidence, right? That is what science is based mm -hmm. off of, right? <clears throat> there is evidence of what uh, these 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 waterways and what these bodies of water do. But yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, Throw it out. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, it's, that's, it's wild uh, in that way, um, you know, continuing to strip the EPA of its ability to regulate or enforce environmental laws is, is also actually pretty unpopular according to the times public polling graphic, that's right. um, which said that 72% of people believe that the clean water act should be read broadly to include things like wetlands. Um, and so that 72% of people was an amalgamation of different people on the political spectrum. Yes. So that was 81% of Democrats agreed. 70% of independents agreed and 66% of Republicans agreed. Right. That is a super majority across the board. Across the board. That right? means it is wildly popular, right? Like there's no name another thing that like 81% of Democrats and 66% of Republicans would agree upon. Right. I don't know no. that I could come up with no. anything right now. Um, and it demonstrates how out of touch the conservative justices of this court are um, and how, you know, maybe their interests aren't vested in like all of us yes. in the long term. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, that's just something to think about. Like not all of the cases lined up in that way where the court made a decision that was, will be considered wildly unpopular. Um, some of it was very like, right down the middle yes uh, in terms of the public opinion polling um and some of it like the court ruled in favor of like sort of what the public thinks um and it, that doesn't mean that the court should always rule in favor of what the public thinks no. way, right like right but, um i think when we're considering like uh you know our only um natural planet and environment mm -hmm. um there's there's i don't know there's something that this whole decision just seems ridiculous to me a hundred percent yeah but i also wanted to talk briefly about the lgbtq case um which was about the woman 
in Colorado who argued that she has a First Amendment right mm. to deny service to a gay couple if they wanted to make a wedding website. If. Which I believe she had never done a wedding website at all for anybody. So uh-huh. um, that's interesting. And there are a lot of other issues like that being reported um, about the actual merits of the case. It's possible that some of the information from the initial request for a wedding website was falsified. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems odd to me that a case uh, that already has a lot of fallout associated with it in terms of it being directed uh, at, at queer folks like businesses have gone on social media across the country and be like, well, I guess I don't have to serve you anymore. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that this case actually is that far reaching, right? Like in terms of its decision, it's, it's, I don't know that it's that broad. Right. Um, so it's fun that they just get to show no, their true just, colors. Yeah. Right. And, um, we get to believe them, as I believe James Baldwin told us to do. Yeah. Um, yes. So, yeah. Um, but it's it's wild to think that it might be based, the whole thing might be, uh, you know, uh, House of Cards, like, and based on false information. Um, and it's hard to believe that it could go this far without some real credible concerns about the establishing factors of the case, establishing facts of the case. Absolutely. I mean, it's wild to me that that's the case. And it's wild to me that that made its way to the Supreme court, right? Like there, Mm -hmm. there are lots of sort of um, legal scholars um, and legal experts who talked about how this case shouldn't have even made its way to the Supreme court, right. right? As a result of all of that, right. With sort of false information at the, at the jump. Mm-hmm. So, but here yeah, we are. Because the lower courts, some of the lower courts, I think, said that, hey, not all of this adds up. Right. Like, what's going on here? But then here we are. Yeah. yeah. Here we are. And I think that's such a great connection that you make to, you know, what what is the impact, right, of a mm-hmm. decision like this, right, with other businesses now saying, well, Supreme Court said, wait, right. you know, um, that's a difficult thing for us to now reckon with, right? Mm-hmm. And and we'll I think we're going to continue to see in certain places the impact of a decision like that one um, on real people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a that, that one's a really difficult one. Um, the other one that I'll briefly mention uh, was on affirmative action. I think yeah. you know, obviously, given our day jobs, but also in general, it's just a big mm-hmm. deal. The Supreme Court mm-hmm. decided that the use of race as a factor in college admission review processes violates the equal protection clause of the 14th amendment. Sure. Sure. Right. Um, and I, I just worry about this decision and what it will mean for future students who are from communities that have historically faced incredible obstacles in their educational journeys and beyond their educational journeys. Right. Uh Um, I, I know that there will be plenty of colleges and universities that will do all that they can to figure out a way to continue their commitments to enrolling diverse student bodies. Um, so that's great, right? But I'm I'm really concerned about those other colleges and universities and what they might do now that the Supreme now that the Supreme Court decision has happened, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a, for me personally, I, I work in scholarship administration now. And so this decision also makes me worry about the effects of this decision. Uh, and what it might mean beyond the admission review processes at institutions as well, at institutions mm-hmm. as well, right? And so, um, how students are awarded financial aid or scholarships, what that, how those decisions are made. Um, so there's there's sort of broad ripple effects uh, of this decision that I know colleges and universities are going to have to grapple with for some time. Um, yeah. So it'll, it's going to be interesting to see, like with 
many of these decisions, how they play out in the coming months. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's, um, this is another one that is, uh, bizarre to me because, uh, it's, um, it's like the ruling on the Voting Rights Act from several years ago that um, essentially said, well, yeah, there were some problems in the past, but those problems are fixed. <laughs> and so we don't need to closely regulate the voting in these states that have historically, you know, disenfranchised, purposefully yeah. disenfranchised black people at the polls. Um, look, we fixed it. Yeah. Um, they, we don't need to watch them anymore because they they're not doing those things anymore. Um, and you know, then they just started doing those things a little bit differently as soon as as the they were allowed to. Absolutely. Um, and this feels kind of like that, where yes. it's it's a it's ignoring the ways that schools are funded differently based on the neighborhoods that they're in, how segregated we all still are from each other in reality. Um, and then the way that segregation still plays a huge role in the value of homes, which then plays a huge role in the funding mm. of our school systems. Yes. Uh, and, you know, when you put all those things together, it's like, well, how can then if the K-12 system sets up sort of racial disparities even there, like right, like taking out all the other sort of experience because we're just talking about education. That alone merits the use of race as a sort of deciding factor um, in terms of admission into college. Absolutely. Um, because the whole system up to that, like race has played a factor in people's lives. Yes. Um, it's all connected. Yeah. Everything is connected, right, uh, in, this, in these systems. So, um, yeah, it's just another, like, head scratcher. And, and I think again displays the the how disconnected the justices are from the sort of day-to-day -day lives of regular people absolutely um, across the country wow yeah all right well let's talk about application um <laughs> uh, how does all this apply to our day-to-day -day lives i mean uh, you know it's gonna a lot of these decisions are gonna impact us for a long time yeah um you know and it's hard to fathom ways that it will impact us um, now because, I don't know, some of the ways that we, we can't imagine what those ways will be yet. Right. right? Um, it's it's going to continue to, um, I'll say devolve. I was going to say um, devolve. Yes. Yes. So, uh, but w one of the things I wanted to talk about is we've always been told that the court isn't a political entity, mm. right? That it's somehow above it all. Um I think these decisions this year add evidence stacking against the court that it, it does indeed have an agenda. Um, striking down affirmative action and, and ruling in favor of so-called religious freedom, um, which really just means giving some religions preferential treatment over others to make decisions on who they can discriminate against because it's quote unquote part of their religion. Right. Um, like that's what's happening, restricting the EPA's ability to regulate wetlands and pollution. Um, it all seems to be in favor of corporations and the dominant forms of thinking that of white supremacy and capitalism and patriarchy and imperialism that have ruled our country since its founding. And it's yes. just sort of reifying those things again when it felt like sort of slowly we were stepping away from those being the overt 
things, right? And then these rulings come out in the, a few weeks ago or whatever, and it's like, oh, no, no, these are still the overt, right? Like it's pulling yes. the wool from our eyes some. Yes. Um, just to reiterate that, like, no, no, we're still we're still doing the white supremacy. We're still mm-hmm. doing all of these things. Um, and, and just making it, they're just saying it out loud. Yes. Uh, in ways that I think um, we had stopped saying it out loud. I don't know. Yeah. I, I could go off on another tangent about things. So that's my application is that the court is a political entity um, and we can stop believing the nonsense that it's not. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the evidence is clear and and you're right. I think these decisions only sort of add fuel to the fire, right? Mm-hmm. And, and sort of reignite, you know, catapult, you know, these these issues, <laughs> right? Um, white supremacy and, and, and the like, right? Back into the limelight, right? Yeah. Back into sort of full focus, right? And and what that will do for... Um, people who are we're all impacted by those systems right what that will do across the board um for for all of us is really sort of troublesome um mm-hmm. i think um so that's yeah that's application for sure uh, yeah. I, I i think how i was thinking about application was the fact that i think for a long time and for a lot of people the supreme court has often felt like this high court that's distanced from us regular everyday people, right? But uh, the reality is the Supreme Court has this huge, incredible responsibility and has a direct impact on people's everyday lives, right? Mm -hmm. These decisions that they get to make have transformative and long-lasting impacts that can literally change the course, I think, of our social and, and economic and political future as people, right? And as mm-hmm. a nation. And so this piece, I think, and, and sort of thinking about and processing these decisions, I think it only reinforces that it it truly matters who our Supreme Court justices are, yeah. right? And, and that means we have to think about and play an active role in our democracy at every opportunity. It's so imperative because yeah. otherwise, as you say, right, this court becomes this political, politicized weapon. Yeah. And um, I think that active role in democracy is important. And it's an active role in all the formal ways that we're sort of quote unquote allowed to be participants in our own Good. governing yes. structure, but also. Um, all of those unspoken ways that we can be, um, I guess, disruptive to it, right? Like, um, interrupting in the ways that the, 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 the wheels of the system, um, chew us all up. Yes. And so there's lots of ways to play an active role. I love that. Yeah. Very good. Um, all right, well, let's talk about homework. Um, how are we going to continue to learn about this beyond our conversation here today? Um, I think for me, I want to learn more about sort of court reform stuff. Um, yeah. Whether that's changing the number of justices or instituting more stringent accountability measures, as there's a lot of funny business uh, for gifts uh, that these some of these justices have received, or at least uh-huh. the appearance of funny business. Yes. Um, a lot of which I think I would be fired for if I did something similar. Absolutely. Um, which is interesting to sit with, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, if I did that, I wouldn't have my job anymore that is uh, much less 
consequential mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the uh, way that the um, country operates, right? Um, Absolutely, and people live their lives. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, lifetime appointments also probably need to be revisited. Mm. Um, and I think there are some proposals out there f- for that. So it, it'd be cool to check that out. Um, and then um, the other thing is like, what can us regular folks do in response to these rulings? Um, yeah, so that's where my mind goes for homework um, for for this conversation. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I agree. I was thinking about it's probably time now to sort of revisit some of those articles and resources and 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 work that's been done to think about this idea of packing the court, right? And yeah, um, and and just the possibilities that exist beyond what we currently have, right? Because mm-hmm. you know now we're seeing the the repercussions of um, what uh, what the what this court looks like now, right? And and what it does. So I was thinking that for sure. I wanted to do some more education around that. I also think there are a few decisions that we didn't really get a chance to talk about, right? And you sort of highlighted some of them at the top, but there are some that I just haven't heard a lot of, right? I was unfamiliar with really um, the the liability of tech and social media platforms and. Uh, and post a content that that supports terrorism um, right. and and sort of the liability of those platforms aiding and abetting terrorism but not removing content. Um, mm-hmm. So so that was one. The other that California one around animal cruelty and 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 the pork. Yeah. Right. These are just cases I hadn't really heard anything about. <laughs> so I just want to spend some more time reading up on those and figuring out sort of, uh, you know, how they made their way to the Supreme Court, what's at the core of those issues, right? Um, just because, yeah, it's kind of fascinating to me that I, I hadn't heard of them before this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it's interesting, right? Like reviewing that page, I thought, oh, there's a bunch of stuff that's happened that we just didn't hear about because yeah. I guess it wasn't newsworthy too yeah. much. Um but yeah, that's uh, those are those are also interesting cases to consider and, and think about. Like how does this impact us? Right. Um, all right. Well, I think that's enough ranting and raving from uh, <laughs> at least me. I'll say I was uh, uh, for this week. Um, Damien, you're up next time. What do you bring to the table in our next episode for us to rant and rave about? I appreciate and always love your ranting and raving. Oh, so thank you. Keep it coming. Yeah. Um, for our next episode, we, we definitely might do some more <laughs> ranting and raving uh, because I'm bringing a book to the table for mm-hmm. us, our July book, August book, where whenever the episode will come out. Ooh, July. Okay, July. July. Yeah. Um, and and this because this one certainly has a direct connection to what we've talked about today, mm-hmm. right? The Supreme Court's recent ruling on student loan debt. So uh, the book is called Can't Pay, Won't Pay, The Case for Economic Disobedience and Debt Abolition. It was written and produced by our friends at the Debt Collective, which, as uh, folks probably know, is an organization that we've talked about a few times here on the podcast. They are a union of debtors uh, working and fighting to cancel debt in all of its forms um, and to change the systems and institutions that produce debt. Right. And they do that work in a lot of pretty incredible ways. Um the book also features a Ford that was written by Astra Taylor, right? Which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So um, I took I pulled a quote from our friend Kianga Yamada Taylor. Uh, here's what she says about the book. And she starts actually with a quote from the book. 
So here we go. By prioritizing redress and repair, we can win free and universal education, housing, and health care. No one should have to go into debt to meet their basic needs. Debt Collective declares in this urgent book, which lays out concrete strategies and a powerful vision for radical change. So I, I yeah, I'm, I'm partway through the book. Uh, mm-hmm. It's been great so far. I'm really excited to finish it and, you know, to get to chat with you about it next time. Yeah. Yeah. This was a, uh, a Haymarket free book during the pandemic. They were mm-hmm. doing that, um, I think, once a month or once every few months um, in 2020. Uh, and so I I read it a few years ago. Yes. Um, and there's a lot that I learned about how financial systems have shifted over the course of the last 50, 60 years right. um, to create the um, huge amounts of debt that so many of us carry. Um, not just student student debt, yeah. um, but all kinds of debt that we have that... Um, would have been unheard of like in the 60s mm-hmm. uh, or 70s. So very um, interesting history of yes. how the financial systems have have shifted yes. um, to give more power to financial institutions and banks and whatnot. Um, yeah. So excited uh, to talk about that. A lot we can learn and we all can learn, right? right? And then what I'm excited to also talk a little bit about like what next, like what now, right? And yeah. and, and their sort of wisdom around what we can do armed with this information. So Right. Yeah. And if talking about financial systems and banks uh doesn't sound exciting to you, um, that's okay. What's exciting about it is not the banks themselves, but it's about how all these systems are finding ways to uh, screw us over. Yes. Uh, and so that's what we're actually going to talk about 100%. with the book because that's what the book talks about. Yes. All right. I can't wait. Yeah. Me either. All right. So with that, we want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to Interdependent Study. You know what I'm going to ask you to do here, but in case you forgot, please follow, leave a rating, a review, share a podcast with the people in your life. Follow us on social media. Check us out on YouTube. We have a Threads account if you want to follow that. That's right. Uh, Sign up for our email list to get notified about any new things we got going on behind the scenes. I love it. Yes, thank you so much for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. And we'll talk to you next week. 